Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Ah! The Door Report is back. You are listening live to another episode of The Door Report, presented by Alaco Hardwood Flooring. All right, welcome back into The Door Report. This is episode number 32. It is Sunday evening, August 23rd. I am coming at you live here from Naples, Florida, and we are always uh, joined by my good buddy, Will Byram. He is up in Mount Juliet, and we are always presented by... Alaco Hardwood Flooring. No matter what style you're going for, you can trust your flooring job to Alaco Hardwood Flooring. Take a walk through the woods in your home every day and get your job started today by logging on to alacohardwoodflooring.com or email jimmyalaco at comcast.net. He's also locally there in Nashville, Tennessee. You can call 615-356-0303. Alaco Hardwood Flooring. Perfect floors, whatever your style. And Will Byram is actually in Nashville now, breaking news. <laughs> He uh, he is he is in the Music City, uh, but he he's he's always going to call Mount Juliet home. That's right. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, we got Will Byram. We are back and better than ever with another episode. Again, I'm here in Naples, Florida. Another semester of college. Will, you're in Nashville. Uh, how's it how's it feeling there, there in Music City? Uh, feels good to be a little closer to downtown. Um, <laughs> moving on, so uh, we'll, yeah. we'll see from there. But that the interview that we're uh, about to have with Adam Sparks, um, it was extremely good. Went through uh, f- the football team, um, through the pandemic and the impact that's going to have on the upcoming season, expectations for the team, and we also talked a little uh, basketball as well. Yeah, let's go. We we talked about Stackhouse and and uh, you know kind of the his reputation across the nation and, and more, more specifically the SEC. And uh, no, we did not mention Jeff Goodman. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll leave him out of our mouth. But, uh, but yes, we, uh, we will talk plenty uh, with Adam Sparks regarding football and, and the potential of maybe a canceled season, but we're leaving out hope. And uh, before we get to breaking news, don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Like us on Facebook. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Our podcast is also available on Anchor, iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcast. Will, you got the breaking news? As always, our breaking news is presented by the Recycling Dudes. You may ask, who are the Recycling Dudes? Well, they are brothers, Braden, or Graydon and Chapman, and their dad, Drew Smith, who is a Metro Nashville firefighter. Living in Westmead, the Recycling Dudes recognized the need for a service that would take glass to the recycling for busy homeowners who care about our environment. They pick up your glass, separate it, and take it to be recycled. They offer monthly service as well as one-time party pickup. They have a variety of service levels to fit every need and every budget, starting as low as $10 per month. All you have to do is sign up on their website at recyclingdudes.com. All right, Will, there's uh, literally no breaking news at all. Um, (laughs) uh, We won't won't end it here right now, but uh, I do want to ask you a question, obviously, with football and uh, Big 12, Pac-12, 
Big Ten said Big Twelve, Big Ten, Pac twelve, not playing football as of right now. We got the SEC, ACC, and the Big Twelve. And in terms of Vanderbilt specifically, will in the SEC this year? We were talking about it with Adam, and, you, and all of our listeners will hear it in that interview. Uh, but in terms of a win total, uh, we we talked about kind of the equivalence. This is a different year for Vanderbilt with ten SEC games staring them right in the face, starting off at A and M in College Station, and then. LSU Tigers come to town. Uh, so, again, not the easiest start, but in terms of a win total, Will, you're a betting man. You know, we'll, we'll, uh, you know, we'll, we'll say that. I, I wouldn't call myself a betting man. I, I, might, I might dabble, uh, <laughs> but I, I wouldn't do it this year for Vanderbilt. <laughs> uh, yeah. it's, it's just not looking great. Yeah, so one thing we talked about, so right now the Vegas win total has Vanderbilt, depending on um, where you're looking, between one to one and a half wins is the line that they have. And we talked about it with Adam, and we mentioned um, that, you know, a two and eight year this year, that that doesn't sound very good. But when you really dig into it, I mean, typically at Vanderbilt, you're expecting three or four non-conference wins. So a two and ten or, or two and eight, three and seven year is, is about a five and seven, six and six year, which is a success. Yeah. So yeah. what we're judging the Vanderbilt win total at this year has to be different as, you know, adding in, losing the big three, as well as, you know, a brand new quarterback coming in. It's going to be more expectations of looking at how competitive they are and what the product on the field looks like, as opposed to an actual, this is the set number of wins that we have an expectation of, or Mason has to be gone. So I'm not looking at it from that perspective this year, even though, you know, I haven't been the biggest fan of keeping Mason, but um, this this year's looking a little bit different as far as what what the expectations of a, of a necessary win total are. All right. Well, I'm going to put you. I'm going to give you the floor here. Win total. Uh, just you know, give me a number. Give me your number. My number, man. Um, I would have to say two, two and eight. Um, okay. Is my expectation. So if they go two and eight, I, I will be pretty happy. You look I at two wins on that schedule with, yeah. with, with the amount of, of just sec speed and beef on that schedule. That's, that's, that's like almost equivalent. Like you said, four, four and eight, five and seven, almost. Yeah. You look at who they have and, and where you might see those wins coming from. Um, obviously the first two games are going to be pretty tough with Texas A&M and LSU. Then you move on to South Carolina at Missouri, Ole Miss, uh, at Mississippi State, at Kentucky, that five-game stretch right there is where you've got to pick up two wins. I mean, and you also uh, – because then you run into Florida at Georgia, and then you do have Tennessee in there. So those are going to be – that five-game stretch right after that brutal start with Texas A&M and LSU is is where my expectations are going to be that we've got to go two and three in, in that stretch. And, and that's yeah. just what it has to be that to have this season be deemed – successful for lack of a better term Com- completely agree and and looking at the schedule kind of going down a&m you know i think we would both agree that that's just a loss you know at a at at, at a&m and, and you know look at that game and you can, you can you can say hey they were competitive but you know moral victories are, are not you know something to be proud of yeah especially in the sec lsu you know not not great chances south Carolina, yeah, the, we- the expectations that i would have the, how i kind of like to judge games is is you know experience looking at the at the gambling lines and what the expectations are going to be with yeah. texas a&m it started out at plus 37 and has gone uh, all the way down to actually plus 28 and a half um in a, in a lot of books so the lsu game is going to be a similar line to that uh, South Carolina, Missouri, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Kentucky, those are going to fluctuate anywhere between Vanderbilt being uh, plus 10, so a 10-point yeah. underdog, 
uh, to about a 21-point underdog, so depending on those games. So those are going to be the kind that aren't unrealistic to expect um, um, a tight a tight competition in those yeah. next five. And I, don't th- I think, Will, we could usually say Ole Miss, you know, we have a chance. Kentucky, we have a chance. Missouri, we have a chance. I, I legitimately think we can't say that this year because of mm-hmm. Ole Miss. I mean, what happened last year? John Rice probably ran wild on, on, mm-hmm. on and and then Kentucky. You know, Kentucky has gotten a lot better. The defense is going to be really good. Missouri with a new coach. You know, we'll see. I think Missouri is the best chance for a win. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, it's on the road, but but Missouri is probably you know up down there with Vanderbilt and Arkansas. You know, as as the pill as this this you know, just the basement of the SEC. And then I think you know, the games at home they get are all insanely tough. I mean, LSU, South Carolina, Ole Miss going to be really tough, Tennessee, and, and, and then and then Florida. <laughs> like, you know, the, the wins at home, where is that coming from? You could say possibly South Carolina, possibly Tennessee, but it's just going to be really tough. And then they conclude in Athens. So mm-hmm. uh, a great way uh, to conclude the season for Vanderbilt. Between the hedges. Yeah, you know, you love doing that. It, it, they're going to be – uh, 30% of the stadium will be rowdy. So uh, we'll, we'll see about that. But, but well, again, with the schedule, I, I, I'm with you. I think it's, I, I'm, I'm setting the win total at two as well uh, for the Commodores. So, but again, if they get Demetra Moore back, could change our opinion. We'll see. We'll continue to monitor that. I know you just put an article out on Twitter, uh, and we'll, you know, we'll talk more about that with Adam. Uh, but again, Will, that concludes the breaking news, talking about Vanderbilt's win total. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, that, that's that's all we got for, for the breaking news. So, uh, and it's just you know we'll get more with the football season, you know, a, a, approaching. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are we at, Will? Four, five weeks away. It's getting closer. Yep, it's oh, September twenty yeah. sixth. September twenty sixth is the first official day. So, uh, we'll see Vanderbilt and A and M in College Station. We'll we'll look forward to that and continue to discuss. Uh, Adam Sparks up next here on the Door Report, presented by Laco Hardwood Flooring. Adam Sparks, Vanderbilt beat writer from the Tennessean, is our guest right now here on the Door Report podcast presented by Alaco Hardwood Flooring. And Adam, fresh off the engagement, you're one step closer than we are. Congratulations. (laughs) uh, You know, if you're a college beat writer, you know you always have to get taken care of any proposals, uh, birthday parties, if you can help it, or anything before before fall camp starts so <laughs> with the changing schedule, you had to get it done gotta get it done and you did so congratulations uh i got a question is she a vandy fan uh no she is not and mm. she's a lifelong balls fan no oh no oh man i guess you guys you guys settled that pretty early then <laughs> uh yeah yeah she she knew who i covered and i knew who she rooted for Oh man, that's gonna be fun. Hey, that's that's gonna be a fun back and forth. I mean, not, you're not saying you're a Vandy fan, but you do cover them, so uh, we'll we'll see how that goes. But Adam, obviously, you know, but you're back on the Vanderbilt beat after a short break. You know, we we missed you. You've been covering some high school football. I I know I saw on your Twitter, and you know, for you, I'm sure it feels you know great to just have football back somewhat at least in in terms of covering you know this team. And 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 for you as a reporter, has you have you ever? you know, been through a time like this where, you know, you're, you're off the beat and you're doing different things. You've got high school football and, and then now you're jumping back into a football season in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah. I mean, it's so weird to have your job tied to things like this uh, because, you know, I mean, different things happen and, and uh, college sports and games get canceled and moved and 
uh, those sort of things. But when it's, hey, if they don't play, your job is going to be completely different for maybe a year. That's, you know, that's, that's the that's the connection that you make to the team you cover or the sport that you cover that you don't realize until something like this comes up. I mean, I covered, um, I basically covered news. I wrote COVID stories and stories on the different protests and all that for about three or four months. And so I was almost completely out of sports for all of spring and most of the summer. And that's, you know, that wakes you up a little bit, but I'm glad we have football so far. Like you said, I did see one. I covered one high school football game, yeah. and uh, hopefully, I get to cover at least one college game. And then so. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 what we've been praying for the past uh, you know month or so. And and obviously, with everything going on with the Big Ten, you know, we'll see if they play. But uh, Will and I've been talking a lot football in the South. You know, that that's the only thing that that at least matters to us. And with Vanderbilt, so uh, you know, the schedule was released about a week ago a week ago for the Commodores and every other team in the SEC. And and for you, Adam. You know, with your first glance at the schedule, what were those initial thoughts when you when you see Vanderbilt uh, with with ten SEC teams uh, staring them right in the face? Well, I mean, you know, without even seeing their opponents or the order of them, you know, if there's going to be ten SEC games, uh, that it's it's not going to be easy, and mm-hmm. and we just know that historically, we know that from common sense. Uh, <laughs> you know, even James Franklin struggled to to win a ton of SEC yeah. games. He had a winning record in the SEC at least once, twice. He was four and four, I think, one time. But yeah. to, to, you know, to have successful seasons at Vanderbilt, you win non-conference games, mm-hmm. and when you don't have non-conference games, that makes it a whole lot tougher. Uh, when I saw the schedule initially, um, you know, Texas A&M and LSU—that's really hard right off the bat. Um, but there, there's a there's a pocket in there of. Uh, Missouri, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, there's even a Kentucky somewhere after that. I mean, I'd say those three games, uh, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Missouri, all three are new coaches. Um, so there could be maybe a little awkwardness to those teams early on. Yeah. Uh, you know, you could, they, there's going to be a learning curve early on. They're not going to know exactly who they are, I think, especially Mississippi State. And uh, so maybe you could get them. Uh, those are fairly early games also. Um, and, you know, Mississippi State, some years can be uh, – that can be a winnable matchup, even though Vandy hasn't played them in six years. Um, Missouri was a win last year. Ole Miss was a win two years ago. So, you know, we've got to judge it differently this year. I mean, if, if Vanderbilt is 3-7 and seven this year, it's a good year. not a terrible year. Yeah, it's 3-7 three, three and seven this year is probably 5-7, and 6-6 seven, six and six another year. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt, and 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 especially when you, I, I, the beginning of the schedule is it just really pops out. I mean, a, at A and M, who was a top ten team, and then LSU comes back to Nashville, who obviously is going to be in the top five, top ten again, and then South Carolina, you know, comes to Vanderbilt. So again, rough start, but for Derek Mason, you've been covering him, Adam, for you know as long as he's been here, and you know when when you look at at his kind of mindset. What do you think? You what? I mean, just kind of you putting putting on the mind of Coach Mason. What are what what would what would he say about those two early games? You know, starting off the gates. You know, would be Coach speak to say? You know, we love starting out with those tough teams, uh, but as of late, just hasn't fared very well for the Commodores. So, in terms of Mason's mindset and how that relates to those two games, you know, starting against top ten teams, you know, what what are kind of your thoughts on that? Well, I think he's, uh, I think Derek is going to, I mean, I think he's going to be realistic about it. I think he's going to have to put these, uh, I think he's going to have to judge things in small pockets. Uh, by that, I mean, 
if he can get out of the first two games and say, I have a quarterback that can be poised under pressure, because that quarterback's going to be on, under a whole lot of pressure. So not necessarily good stats or anything like that, but facing two top ten teams, if he can keep his poise then and produce to some extent, not get rattled, uh, run the team, okay, maybe you have a quarterback long term. Lose the games, maybe even lose them by 40, but you have a quarterback long term, yeah. most likely. You saw that from Kyle Shermer his, his freshman year, where oh, yeah. his numbers were not good as a freshman when he came in at midseason. But you kind of looked at what he did and said, well, the numbers are going to come, and they did. Uh, secondly, they've got to be, they've got to have some identity on defense. Even though those are two uh, really good teams they're going to play early on, you still get 10 starters. Uh, up to 10 starters back on that defense. And so it, it shouldn't be bad. It shouldn't even be bad against good teams. Mm-hmm. So you've got to find an identity there. you got to find some pass rushers there. And if you can come out of those first two games, again, regardless of score, and say we can maybe be good on defense and, hey, we think we have a quarterback, then maybe you're probably going to find at least a win or two down the road. Yeah, so back onto that quarterback situation. Um, we'd been hearing that Danny Clark was the front runner, uh, but reports from camp recently have been that the snaps have been kind of even between uh, the three guys that, that are kind of battling for that position. So do you have any update on that quarterback battle or, or anything you've been hearing? Yeah, I've heard I've heard Seals Musa. I've heard mm-hmm. Clark Seals. I've heard uh, <laughs> I've heard I've heard Musa at one point. Um, I do believe uh, Todd Pitts, the new offensive coordinator, when he said um, they're going to give them all a little bit of reps and then and then see what happens in the scrimmage. And you know, like what I said before about how poised they are, how they kind of manage things in those first two games. I think he's looking for the same thing in the scrimmage. Um, you know, there's there's one thing to be able to throw the ball and run around. It's another to kind of understand what he wants out of the offense, be able to run smoothly through it, get the ball out of his hands. That's a big priority this year. They know their offensive line is going to struggle some. And you've heard some of this rhetoric of, you know, we, we need to get, get the ball out quick. And what that means is our offensive line is not very good. The defenses we're going to face are going to be really good. Yeah. We need somebody that can make quick snap decisions. So, who is that going to be? Um, you know, Mike Wright could even yeah. factor in there because he can run the ball. Um, you know, I, I, I actually think all four are possibilities. Uh, but, yeah, oh, no. I've, I've heard Seal <laughs> lately, I guess. Yeah, that's always – since the quarterback by committee hasn't, hasn't gone too well in recent history. So, <laughs> hopefully, hopefully one will, will kind of emerge to the front, uh, become the front runner by getting, getting a little bit closer to the season. But switching to the other side of the ball – uh, senior linebacker Dimitri Moore, um, who's the team's leading tackler, was among the five players uh, that opted out of the season. Uh, and do you have any update on the status regarding Dimitri Moore? Um, we've been hearing some rumors and, and based on social media posts about him possibly opting back in. Do you, do you have any update on that situation? Uh, I do. I don't, at least none that I can, uh, that I can report. Um, you know, if he's, if he were to come back in there, it, it certainly would make some difference. I don't, I, when I looked at the op, opt outs, and I know we're talking about defense, but when I look at the opt outs, I, I think the offensive line opt outs are far more impactful than Demetri uh-huh. Moore. Now, again, he's, he's their best tackler. He's an NFL prospect, but I, I do think they can absorb his absence a little bit. 
um, losing three offensive linemen in where you already needed some spots, uh, when you already had some issues at a couple of spots, I think that's more impactful. So, but I, I don't, I don't have anything new that at least that I can report on more. Yeah, Dimitri Moore, just the defensive leader. It seems like Vanderbilt every year they a guy kind of emerges, you know, out of out of the blue. It's like you know Nigel Bowden, Zach Cunningham, and you know you got D- Dimitri Moore supposed to be that guy. We'll see. Adam, in terms of the opt-outs, you mentioned the offensive linemen. For Vanderbilt, offensive line, it has, has, as you know, has always been an, an issue for uh, the running game and, and even pass protection. For the quarterback, how – I mean, it's just – it's so hard to, to play in front of a line that, that's just inept. As the quarterback, how much of, of a chance does any of those four guys have of dr- driving Vanderbilt down the field, having time, and even for the running back, you know, how much of a chance will this offensive line without those three guys in your mind will give the quarterback a chance and the offense as a whole to, to even succeed? Well, I think you can, I think you can level things out a little more in the passing game. If you have a quarterback that can make quick decision and he can, he can run around a little bit. Now um, seals, I think can run a, a little bit. You see that on his high school film. Of course that's high school, but he does have some mobility Um Musa, we didn't see it obviously in the spring because uh, because of his leg injury that he was still coming off of. Danny Clark, I know, can run a little bit. Uh, he's he's pretty mobile uh, or mobile enough. Mike Wright can run really well. Oh yeah. Um, they're going to have to be mobile. They're going to have to get the ball out. Um, I, I won't say it's a good thing that there's not a Kalaja Lipscomb and Jared Pinkney on this team, but. Maybe it's a little easier on this quarterback, the fact that everybody is kind of even, because I thought last year there was a tendency at some point that Riley Neal was just trying to figure out how to make everybody happy and get the ball to Lipscomb and Pinkney because yeah. they had to get their touches. There's nobody on this offense that should absolutely demand touches. So I think the offense maybe has a little better to, better chance of spreading it around. But the first game – maybe the first couple of games, you're really going to just rely on um, the fact that it's a new offense. And, I mean, it's not like Todd Fitch is going to run anything that A&M and LSU haven't seen, but Mm -hmm. it's going to be new enough that maybe they can keep some people on their toes, at least for a game, uh, just looking quite different than what what Vandy has done the last few years. So the Andy Ludwig style is is gone. Uh, maybe (laughs) most of it most of it well here's the problem um every offensive coordinator comes into Vanderbilt and says hey I do this and I like to spread it around and I like tempo and uh and then they get into the they come in and the talent and the speed that they have is about what they had at the previous school they were at so yeah Utah or Cal or in this case, Louisiana Tech, and they say, hey, this looks kind of like what I've used before. I can do this. And then they go up against LSU and Texas A&M and say, whoa, the, yeah. I, those defenses are a lot faster than I faced yeah. in pick the conference. And so a lot of times you see a big plans from offensive coordinators, and then when they get to Vanderbilt, they are almost they almost allow themselves to be more conservative than they otherwise would be. I'll be interested to see if Pitch does that too. Yeah, it, we've been kind of discussing this, that traditionally Vanderbilt has tried to, you know, I, I won't say it, but beat their head into the wall running a traditional, more pro-style <laughs> offense. Um, outside of the Franklin era, mixed it up a little bit. But Fitch coming in is more of, from what I've seen, more of a spread-style offense. Do you think that's going to be 
what we what we're going to see on the field in the fall, or do you think he's going to you know make a larger adjustment with the shift into the SEC? Well, one one thing is it's it's harder to gauge what he'll do without seeing it yet, just because if you look at his well, he's had what six or seven stops where he's been mm-hmm. the play caller. And by the way, not everywhere where it says offensive coordinator was he the play caller. A lot of times they, they would be a tag team sort of thing. But he's run all different styles of offense. Now, from what I saw in the spring, there was a lot of three wide and a decent amount of four wide. Um, he oh. talked uh, sort of vaguely on the conference call the other day about using uh, Keon Brooks, the running back, maybe even uh, Marlowe. Javion Marlowe in the slot, using both those guys in the slot. He, he likes to put running backs in the slot. He likes uh, – and, and what that tells you, again, is those are short routes to get the ball out. Um, so I'm sure we're going to see a lot of slip screens. I think we're going to see um, a lot of uh, backs out of the backfield catching the ball. Um, I think we'll see a whole lot of timing routes, things that can get the ball out in under three seconds. And you know what? That's, that's fine get the ball out of the quarterback's hands and, and go. Uh, the problem is another problem is a lot of times coaches that like to run the style of offense sort of like to lean on tempo. And we've seen that work again, offensive coordinators sometimes come to Vanderbilt, say, I love tempo. And then they get here and they run tempo for a little while. And it's too many three and outs against really good defenses. Mm-hmm. And their head coach says, Hey, you got to eat some clock because their defense can't be on the field for 40 minutes. And, so you run it, you, you lose your personality sometimes when you're calling plays at Vanderbilt because you're overmatched by SEC teams. He's going to have that right off the bat. Yeah, and 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 Adam, maybe they, maybe he he morphs into you know a sort of a hybrid of it. We you know we'll see. And 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 I think you know make a great point about the SEC defenses. It's just different. I mean the speed and and talent and just just lar- largeness of those D linemen is are just is just ridiculous. I want to talk about switch over kind of to the possibility, uh, it, not possibility of being canceled, but the possibility of some extreme changes in football. I, I thought it was really funny. You know you covered. Brentwood in Nolansville, and, and I thought your dinner was hilarious there with the Powerade and, and the checks Mix and Slim Jim. Uh, no burgers, <laughs> no hot dogs, no nachos. Hopefully we don't see that at Vanderbilt or, or any other SEC schools. But, but Adam, for, for you and, and kind of looking at this football season, what are the chances that, uh, that we do play all 10 games and, and that, uh, fans, you know, that, that fans stay at kind of that 30% range in, in the stadiums? Uh, it depends on where um, most of the conference you've seen has announced that their their current plans are to go about 25%. Um, all the way back maybe two weeks ago, what I was hearing around the conference was that it, it ranged anywhere from, from zero to 50%. And 50% uh, was, uh, well, almost everybody was 25 to 50%. Vanderbilt was looking, from my understanding, of – you know, trying to get maybe a 25% in there if they could. Um, I'm, I'm a little skeptical if they do it. Um, I would say if you have, if you have 13 of the 14 schools with some fans in the stands, I think Vanderbilt would be, uh, the one to not have fans. Um, you know, and there's a, a few reasons for that. Number one, they're in the largest populated area of, of any, uh, of any of the SEC towns. I mean, you just you have to approach the pandemic a little different in Nashville than you do Starkville, for example, mm-hmm. and a whole lot of other places in the SEC. Also, I think Vanderbilt's going to be a little more cautious um, for a number of reasons, especially with 
the background in in, uh, in the medical field that they have. I think there's more caution at Vanderbilt than other places. You know, maybe it's a uh, you know I've seen a lot of high school uh, a lot of high school teams around the state do kind of friends and family or whatever where um, players get so many allotted tickets that you have maybe a handful of season ticket holders, high end boosters that can use the suites and that's obviously socially distanced. And, you know, maybe you get to a point where you allow in a small percentage of fans, but I think Vanderbilt's going to be on the very, very low end of, of whatever the allotment is in, in terms of stadium. And, you know, that's fine. I don't think the atmosphere is going to make much difference this year at, at really any school, but yeah. 25% of Vanderbilt though is still different than 25% at, at other places. Oh yeah. So it, kind of related to that with no fans in the stands, I mean, in the fall, that's that's a big deal with on-campus visits for recruits. Kind of how has that process gone for not just Vanderbilt, but but every other school with, you know, restrictions on in-person visits? And then in the fall, it's it's obviously going to be restrictions on game day visits. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think these high school kids that they're recruiting, I think, are – are going to have a whole lot more understanding. Um, you know, I think where the pandemic is going to come into recruiting is between, let's say, the SEC and the Big Ten, or the ACC and the, and the Big Ten, of, hey, we're playing football and they're not, or vice versa. Um, you know, with Vanderbilt, it's really not that often that Vanderbilt is recruiting against a lot of the SEC Usually you'll see some of these three-star guys that have like one or two other SEC offers, but more times than not, it's uh, it's ACC schools, it's some Ivies, Ivy Leagues, maybe even some West Coast schools. And so, um, you know, Vanderbilt is not going to look that different compared to those than they would have otherwise. And again, I think high school players just sort of put an asterisk, uh, uh, you know, on the season and on the atmosphere that they're going to see because they're coming from high school games and high school programs where – they have the same restrictions. I think most coaches can say, hey, you know, if this was a normal Saturday in a normal season, it would look like this, not this. And I think a lot of a lot of kids will kind of understand that. Adam, in, in terms of the, the football expectations overall, I got one more before we switch over to hoops. Vanderbilt, you know, this year is you're looking at it as a fan, at least, you know, Will and I have been and I've heard a, heard a lot of Vanderbilt fans kind of look at this season and say, you know what, we're just going to wait and see what kind of happens. The expectations are, are, are a little bit bare. The cupboard is bare, literally. Uh, and, and so, Adam, in terms of expectations of what, what we might see this year from Vanderbilt, from your gut feeling, a record prediction, and then maybe who the quarterback might end up being. Um, on the quarterback, I can tell you I, I don't know. Um, and I don't think they know. Um you know, I, I guess Seals or Clark would be the two. Um, I say they don't know because I, I, I think there are going to be games to be played before they they really have it figured out. Um, I don't know that there's a Kyle Shermer in this bunch. Um, um, and that's the last, you know, really good one, obviously, that, that Vandy had. Um, you know, there's there's been others the past few years where you thought, well, that, that guy's going to be it. And when he got into games, it didn't work out. And sometimes that's Sometimes that's not the quarterback. Sometimes it's the circumstances they're put in. Wade Freeback, I thought, could have been a pretty solid uh, Vanderbilt quarterback. He was uh-huh. put in at the wrong time and never really had a chance to develop. Um, so I, I don't know in the quarterback. I, I would I would say maybe Seals or Clark. I think 
both of them are going to get an opportunity, but it wouldn't surprise me if any of the four, especially if the season starts to go south. Um, in terms of wins, the betting lines that I've seen have the over-under at two. I'm not a betting man, but I would not go over. Um, you know, you can – I mean, you know, a lot of people are going to say, oh, are you saying Vandy's going to go 0-10 oh or 1-9 or 2-8? and 8? Well, again, if I said Vandy's going to go 5-7 and seven in a normal year, you'd say, hey, that's okay. That's Considering that last year was 5-7 yeah. and seven would be an improvement. Well, 5-7 and seven is 2-8. and eight. In this year, two mm-hmm. SEC wins, he would have had three non-conference wins, let's say, in, it, in that type of season. So, if Vandy can go two and eight, I, you know, for what the expectations are, I think that's fine. If they can get more than that, wonderful. I can't see better than three and seven. Um, I could see zero and ten as a possibility. I, I still think there's enough experience to win a game, though. So, zero uh, and seven would would surprise me to some extent. Adam, let's switch over to the, to the hardwood, the basketball. Uh, teams, men's and women's, just got a renovated practice gym there in Memorial. And and uh, I got to say, you know, it looks good. Will and I discussed it's a, definitely a step in the right direction. From your point of view, Adam, in terms of this, what, what kind of a, I guess, how big of a step is this in terms of, of sort of getting to that elite level of recruiting in the SEC comparing to Kentucky, Florida, even Tennessee right now? I mean, most of the schools in the SEC are just a step ahead. So how, uh, you know, how, how drastic is, is that uh, renovation? Well, I mean, it's something, um, you know, I think one thing, not just Vanderbilt, but with any, um, with, with any program, most fans and really even most coaches don't have to see, um, you know, huge facilities built every, every few years, they need to see progress. And so sometimes you can, you know, you can make people happy for a little while, just showing that you care enough to put, put a small amount of money into something. The practice gym was not a huge renovation. It was a pretty minor renovation. The football locker rooms, whenever they get started, which was probably going to be after the season now, certainly that's the plan right now to start after the season. Um, That's at least a step. It's a small step, but it's a step. It's better than doing nothing. Um, I think you'll see more out of Memorial in the future, Um, but it's something. I I don't think, you know, I don't get as concerned with basketball in terms of facilities and competing and recruiting. Yeah as I do in football. Now, obviously, there's more tradition in basketball, but uh, Bryce Drew, even though we understand the circumstances, he had a he had a relationship with Darius Garland, but he, even so, he brought in a phenomenal top five in the country class um, that year. Jerry Stackhouse has now been here a couple of years, and he's bringing in his best recruits are coming in right now in these, these last few commitments. Number one. He's bringing in – yeah, four stars, high four stars. Here's the thing. At Vanderbilt, if you can put a lineup out there that has a starting five of all four stars, you're going to get to the NCAA tournament mm-hmm. And if, if you're well coached. And I think Jerry Stackhouse can coach. So I'm not real concerned with – if Jerry Stackhouse is the coach, I think he's bringing in good enough players to win. We've got to see if he will now, though. Yeah, so kind of speaking of small steps, we, we saw improvement from uh, the basketball program in Stackhouse's first year, you know, not going winless in the SEC. Uh, what are, I, know it, I know it's early, but what are some expectations that you have uh, for the upcoming season based, based on kind of the vibe around that team? Is, are the expectations an NIT berth or, or competing in the middle of the pack of the SEC or, or even an NCAA tournament berth? 
Well, I mean, a lot of it depends on what kind of season we have. Do we have an SEC-only schedule? Do we have a season that starts, you know, in January and you only have 20 games? Do we have a full schedule where you get some non-conference mm-hmm. games under your belt? Um, so that that's going to play a lot into it. I think this team will need some time uh, to develop. Um, so, so it's hard to say postseason-wise. I think if you had a full season – um, I think this should be a team that should compete at least for an NIT. I don't know how much beyond that. But, you, you know, you can make a whole lot of improvement in, in, in a basketball team year to year if you have enough experience returning. Um, losing Saban Lee in the, in the offseason, you already knew you'd lose uh, Neesmith. Losing Saban Lee was a pretty big hit. But I think two things are going to determine if this team is, is pretty good this year. Uh, number one, the transfers. So DJ Harvey out of, uh, out of Notre Dame, is he a guy that can go and get you 13 points a game and defend really well? Um, uh, Quentin Melora Brown, uh, from Rye, 610 kid. Is he a guy that can give you good, strong interior defense, give you a shot blocker and be, and be consistent? Uh, Educate Obina gets, showed you a little bit last year, but it's very inconsistent. They've got to have a consistent big man. So, Number one, can the transfers perform at an SEC level? And number two, what's the ceiling of these other guys? So, Scotty Pippen Jr. was a freshman All-SEC performer, put up big numbers. Is that his ceiling? Sometimes you see that as freshmen. They're a good, solid player, but that's as good as they're going to get. Is his ceiling much higher than that? If it is, then you've really got something. And, and even more so, I think Dylan DeSue, I think his ceiling is even higher than that. I mean, that's a he's a six eight, six nine guy who's got a little bit of a handle to him. He can shoot it. Do all those does, does all those skills get better this year from what they were? Um, and 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 also healthy. I, I think he could make the biggest jump of any anybody on that team. So if you have those younger guys show that they're now sophomores and not freshmen and continue to develop. And if you have the uh, transfers come along, then you've got a pretty good lineup because I think there are enough uh, enough pieces around them to be role players if they're led. Max Evans is a is a good, solid role player glue guy. Jordan Wright, I think, has that potential. And you've got other young guys coming in. Cleavon Brown is back. I think he'll, he could be a glue guy if he's oh, yeah. healthy. You, you know, you just got to get those young guys being uh, – a step better than they were last year. And, and year two with Coach Stackhouse, it will be drastically just, you know, different than, than year one. You know, we're all expecting that. But with Stackhouse's recruiting, Adam, as of late, they've gotten a couple four stars and have the number one class in 2021. And, they, and they've stayed there the past few weeks or so. And, you know, this is, uh, this is some new territory for not just Vanderbilt basketball, but, uh, you know, Coach Stackhouse in general kind of proven – um, a lot of people wrong that uh, that he that he can recruit, you know, getting a pair of four stars. And he's also, you know, he's got uh, Jonathan Lawson from Memphis, the four star wing and hit and Vandy's in his top five. DeMarco Dunn, another four star guard has Vanderbilt. So the recruiting of Stackhouse has obviously been impressive. You mentioned that. But in terms of him carrying over the recruiting to the hardwood in Memorial Gym, in the SEC, what? What 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 can you expect the next few years and and kind of do you think he has what it takes to put Vanderbilt consistently in the tournament? Um, I, you know, I, I thought as a bench coach last year he showed me something. Um, you know, I mean, so many of these things we just look anecdotally where we'll say, well, Bryce Drew was this way on the sideline and 
<laughs> you know, uh, Jerry Stackhouse was this opposite way on the sideline, so he must be a good coach. Bryce Drew struggled. And, you know, we look at these things anecdotally. I, I look at results and I look at uh, improvement. Um, individual players last year improved quite a bit. Um, I thought they sometimes played some of their better ball in the last uh, or in the second half of games. So I think you did see uh, some improvement at halftime. You, you saw little small things. Uh, I want to see bigger things now. But I mean, Jerry Stackhouse. If you ask around the conference, people said that he that they were difficult to prepare for because they changed so much of what they did um, game to game. Um, and that's you know the, you have to make adjustments at the NBA level quite a bit. Um, we tend to think that's a that's a player a player's league, which it is. But so you've got to make uh, you've got to have small variations to your game. And I think Stackhouse understands um, how to do that as a coach. Um, you know the the recruiting side of it. Um, you know he's got he's starting to bring in guys. You know I think of Gabe Dorsey, uh, the kid out of Pennsylvania, six six shooting guard, uh, high four star. Jerry Stackhouse is you're seeing him him start to bring in some of these long six 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 seven swing guy type swing man type guys where they look a little bit like what he was not the six two shooting guard um, guys with length guys with range guys that can defend and you know a lot of times coaches recruit what number one they're most familiar with but also um, you know sort of a mirror image of themselves if they were a really good player and he was and so I think you're going to see length in these recruits and you already see that in these in this first I guess class and a half that he's had Adam one more here uh regarding basketball before we close things out here on the door report again we got Adam Sparks Vanderbilt beat reporter from the Tennessee and with us Adam about Aaron Neesmith he is uh, obviously he's going to be a lottery pick most people um, believe again the NBA draft is always up in the air with these guys a lot of the teams you know with with trading there on draft day Bleacher Report has him at 13th uh, going to the Pelicans from from my point of view I've seen him from eighth overall all the way up to back to 20th overall from you Adam what's a what's kind of a prediction and and kind of a threshold for Aaron Neesmith there in the first round because we know he is going to the first round. Yeah, I mean, uh, a lottery pick, maybe mid round, maybe. Uh, usually, the NBA mock drafts are pretty accurate. Um, you don't see you don't see guys you know rise or fall all that much when we get close to draft night. What Aaron Neesmith has um, is a few things. I mean, he does have he's got he's got NBA size for a two guard. Um, you know, obviously, he can shoot the lights out. Um, and he, you know, the way he shoots, sometimes you'll see in college guys that are, that are high percentage shooters, um, that don't translate quite as well at the NBA. And sometimes it's small things. Uh, Aaron Neesmith has the right kinds of things that he should be a successful shooter in the NBA. So, um, he's got a high release when, when you see where, where he shoots the ball, um, it's, it's up, up well above his head, above his shoulders. It's um, he he rises quickly. He releases quickly. Um, you know, when he uh, he has he, he has the things that you would say uh, show that he was coached in NBA level uh, to be a shooter. Yeah. Jerry Stackhouse is going to be many tweaks to his game as a shooter. Yeah. When he gets there. So, I, I, you know, I, it, it's not how it was maybe 20 years ago where a rookie comes in and kind of blends into things. 
it's if you idea that he can fill it up from day one. Yeah, no doubt. And and I was just going to say Jerry Stackhouse, as you mentioned, Adam, absolutely, you know, critical just to his development and 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 not not really development, but just finalization of, of his career there at Vanderbilt. Again, Adam Sparks has been with us here on the Door Report. You can follow him on Twitter at Adam Sparks. He's going to be a great follow here leading into football season. And and uh, Will Byram and I, Adam, are going to be tuning into your tweets and, and again, continuing to hope uh, for this football season. So uh, thanks again for taking the time, Adam, and uh, we'll we'll, uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right, look forward to it, guys. Thank you, Adam. All right, thank you. Yeah, no problem. That was Adam Sparks, Vanderbilt beat writer from the Tennessee. And Adam, he, he had all you know pretty solid things to say, but football and, uh, and, and basketball, and as we continue to pray uh, for this football season. Yeah, uh, he, he, he had some very <laughs> realistic expectations about the football season. I can't say that you know, I disagree with them too much. Um, the betting line for the I am he said he's not a betting man. I will just say it. Yeah. I, I am a betting man. Um, there you right, go. right now, the 2020 regular season win total odds for Vanderbilt are anywhere between one to one and a half games. Uh, so that's kind of what we're seeing there. And honestly, that's probably about where I would put it as well. Like he mentioned, a two and eight year this year is a five win. Uh, season normally yeah. so it, it it puts everything in perspective um, he did say mention something about on the offensive side of the ball uh, not really having any specific guys that were like a Kalijah Lipscomb Jared Pinkney Keyshawn Vaughn guys that you know demanding the ball I, I do think that we could see that out of Cam Johnson this year um, really yeah, I was really, gonna say that too. yeah really having a breakout season um, he's really going to step into that number one re- receiver role that he hasn't really been able to do yet uh, because of the injury that he sustained and then having Lipscomb ahead of him. So that, that, that's a guy to keep an eye on that could morph into that role of, of a true playmaker on, on Todd Fitch's offense. Yeah. And, and again, with the football, it's, I mentioned the covers bear, but I mean, I, I think, I think everyone would agree that, I mean, we're losing three starting offensive linemen mm-hmm. and then looting, losing potentially, you know, we could have Dimitri Moore back, but potentially losing your leader on defense, that just doesn't look like the best of things for Vanderbilt. So, you know, we'll see, though. We'll see, again, the betting line at two wins. Uh, you know, maybe we'll have a prediction podcast with with the betting lines and the schedule. So uh, maybe we'll bring that back out here for football fans. But, uh, but Will, that does it here for Adam, and uh, that'll conclude the Door Report. Thank you so much for tuning in. You have been listening to Episode 32 of the Door Report, presented by Alaco Hardwood Flooring. <laughs>